It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Believe it or not, this is episode number 700 of the Locked On Orioles podcast. So I thought no better time than to hear from you, the listeners, and open up the mailbag coming up on today's episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Monday, February 27th, 2023. And welcome back into the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are going to open up the Locked On Orioles mailbag. I'm taking nine questions, all from you, the listeners, here on today's podcast. We're going to discuss topics like what the Orioles could do with the deadline in terms of which teams could be sellers and who the Orioles could pick up if they are buyers. Talk about what the opening day roster in 2024 could look like, how D.L. Hall and John Means could get themselves into the Orioles rotation this season, who my favorite bad player of all time is on the Orioles, and much, much more. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. Before we get there, just did want to thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms. And of course, we're right here on YouTube. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked On Orioles YouTube page. And I want to thank you all specifically. Over the weekend, we reached 2,000 subscribers on YouTube. Thank you so much for helping me grow this YouTube channel, grow the podcast as we get closer and closer to what should be a very exciting 2023 Orioles season. And as I've talked about over the past couple of weeks, we are going to do a giveaway here on the podcast. So with YouTube reaching 2,000 subscribers, we're going to give away some fun Orioles gear this week. So make sure to tune back in tomorrow for Tuesday's episode of the podcast, when at the end of the pod, I will talk about what the giveaway will be and what you'll have to do to be entered. But the first step, you have to be subscribed to the Lockdown Orioles podcast on YouTube to be entered. So make sure to do that today and then listen to Tuesday's episode to hear what that giveaway will be and what else you're going to have to do. But again, thank you so much for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. For your first listen today, we are opening up the mailbag. Nine Orioles questions, all from you, the listeners, here on the pod. And if you did submit a mailbag question and it is not answered, don't you worry. Planning on doing another mailbag episode later this week here on the podcast. So if you didn't hear your question answered today, look out for maybe a Thursday or Friday mailbag this week as it will be answered then as well. But let's kick it off for a question from Ben on Twitter, who asks, which teams could be selling at the trade deadline this year? And if the O's are buyers, which teams could they buy from? And which players could potentially be available? Now, I could do an even bigger breakdown of this. And this, you know, if the Orioles are buyers, you know, in July of this year, this will probably be a full episode looking at who they could target, what teams are selling. But here as I sit recording, you know, in late February, I identified, I feel like, the five teams that right now I think everybody knows are going to sell and that do have players worthwhile. I actually didn't include the Oakland Athletics here, which is a team that the Orioles have already traded with this offseason, sending Daryl Hernandez over there for Cole Urban and Kyle Verbitsky. But it just feels like even though they did sign some major leaguers to one-year deals this offseason, 
they're just kind of out of tradable guys. I feel like they've traded everybody in this rebuild. So the five other teams, and there's going to be other sellers than these teams at the deadline. We just don't know who that's going to be yet. And at least I feel like every other team feels like they have an outside chance maybe of not being full sellers. But let's start with the Pittsburgh Pirates. I think they're going to have some pieces to trade off once again at this year's deadline. And the number one piece would be Brian Reynolds, who I think would fit perfectly with the Orioles. You know, there's all this talk, oh, could the O's trade Mullins and get Reynolds? Why not just get Reynolds and have Mullins as well? And you have Reynolds in left field, Mullins in center, and Santander in right. Sounds pretty good to me for an outfield, especially offensively. But if the O's aren't willing to give up that much to get a player like Reynolds, who of course has asked for a trade this offseason, Rich Hill, they signed to a one-year deal, could be available. O's had interest in him this offseason. G-Man Choi is a guy who could be available. Carlos Santana, another veteran they brought in. Even Andrew McCutcheon, who they re-signed this offseason, could definitely be available if the Pirates are, as we expect, way out of it by this July. So certainly teams could come calling to Pittsburgh by the August 2nd trade deadline. Put the Rockies in here as well. They could have some hitters that are available. Charlie Blackman could be one of them. He's on the final year of his deal. Randall Gritchick is on the final year of his deal. Wouldn't it be funny if the Orioles went and got one of the main Oriole killers from the past decade in Gritchick? And also C.J. Crone, who wasn't as great last year, but had a really, really good 2021 uh, for the Rockies from the right side. All those guys will be free agents after 2024. Tigers, a couple of the pitchers they sign, you know, Matt Boyd and Michael Lorenzen. Neither of those guys are aces, but could certainly help the Orioles, whether in a relief role or as a starting pitcher, potentially, depending on what the O's needs are at the deadline. And again, I do not think the Tigers are really going to be competing at that point. I could even see the Tigers trading away Eduardo Rodriguez. I know they just signed him last offseason to a long-term deal, but they might be resetting again. I mean, maybe even a, one of the young pitchers like Tarek Skubal, you know, who we've talked about before, could be available as well from Detroit. For the Kansas City Royals, three pitchers, I think, mainly who would be available. Zach Granke, they brought back on a one-year deal. I could see them trading him if he pitches well. Brad Keller is on the final year of his contract. There's some stuff there, but the results haven't been good. And then Amir Garrett, who they traded for from Cincinnati a couple years ago. He'll be a free agent after the season. Left-handed reliever who was good with the Reds, but, I mean, really struggled in Kansas City last year. Maybe if he has a bounce back, I could see the O's trying to shore up the bullpen there. And then the last team would be the Nationals. A lot of these guys are guys they signed this offseason and are planning to trade away. Corey Dickerson, the, the, the outfielder, Trevor Williams as a starting pitcher, Don Smith, the first baseman. But one guy, Tanner Rainey, I think could be available. Now, Tanner Rainey, I believe, is not a free agent until after 2024 or potentially even 2025. But if he continues to have good seasons out of the Nats bullpen, and he's got some some really good stuff, can, can run the fastball up near 100. I mean, he was a solid bullpen piece when they won the World Series in 2019 and has been good since then. I can see them capitalizing on the years Rainey has left and trying to get a lot for him, like the O's have done over the past couple of years during their rebuild, trading their relievers. Maybe the O's would would go there for some relief help. But again, that's not nearly a comprehensive list of who could be available, but just some names that if you'd like to, you can start thinking about. Next question comes from Brady on Twitter, who asks, if all the infield prospects in the Orioles system hit, where do they play when they get to the big leagues? So let's first say they're not all going to hit. Some of them will flame out whether in the minors or in the big leagues, and some of them will be traded as well. It, you just have to do it because I think the the spirit of the question, Brady, is that there's too many infielders 
and not enough spots at the big league level. You would be correct by that. You got to trade some of them. And, and again, not all of them will work out and be stud or even really productive major leaguers. I think all of them will get to the big leagues, whether with the O's or with another team, but they're not all going to be real productive big leaguers. You have to realize that prospects don't always work out. More than not, they don't work out if you just look at the numbers. But I would say if the O's aren't bringing in you know, other talent, they're basically letting go everyone currently on the roster except for Gunnar Henderson. I would say it looks something like if everybody hits, you would have Gunnar Henderson at third base. You'd have Joey Ortiz at shortstop because if he's going to be that good defensively and his bat plays, he's your shortstop. Maybe Jackson Holiday at second base at that point if Ortiz is that that good at short, but Holiday's going to be legit. I'd be fine with him playing second. And then I guess you could put Kobe Mayo at first base, you know, He's still working at third, but he could be a first baseman. He could potentially play some right or left field for you as well. He could be versatile. And then I'd put Jordan Westberg as kind of the rover utility guy, whether he's going to play some third, some short, some second. He could DH for you. you know, maybe he can play some first. You put Mayo in the outfield. You know, Maybe Holiday DHs. Westberg can play some second. He can move around a little bit like he's doing right now in big league spring training with the Orioles. And then I just feel like the guy that will be squeezed out would be Connor Norby and and Taren Vavra as well from that group because they're just there's just not enough spots at this point. Third question comes from Brandon on YouTube who asks, who is your favorite Oriole who was never really that good? I think my answer is similar to the answer that a lot of people would have, and that's Ryan Flaherty. He only had a 2.3 baseball reference war in his six seasons with the Orioles. So yes, he was a better than replacement level player in those six seasons, but he only had one year, 2013, where his war was above one. It was 1.1 in his second season in 2013. Other than that, it was below one every single year. So he was just barely above replacement level. Was he a helpful player for the O's for six years? Of course he was. Buck Walter loved him, and he was a fan favorite. But he wasn't actually that good. So I think he's the easy answer. Another name I wanted to throw out there who wasn't in Baltimore for as long. He had some moments, but generally wasn't that good here and really wasn't good in his career is Jimmy Paredes, who was with the O's in 2014 and 15 and was never truly an everyday player, was kind of a a utility bench bat. Now, he had a 0.8 baseball reference war over his two seasons with the O's. He had some big hits, especially down the stretch in 2014 as well, but he never really stuck because he wasn't that good and he really couldn't play the field. I mean, his position was third base, but it was rough (laughs) to watch him play third. And in terms of the other teams he played for, he had a negative 1.3 career war. I mean, he was a below-replacement-level player in his career. Now, he was a little above as an Oriole, but he still wasn't very good. But I just always felt like he had some key hits. He had a fun swing to watch. I liked watching him play. Just, yeah, he he wasn't a great baseball player. We got six more questions to get to here on a Mailbag episode. Coming up after the break, we'll talk about what the 2024 opening day roster could maybe look like for the Orioles. We will chat about also a couple of spots in the rotation that could be up for grabs, depending on some injuries or some guys really pitching well in spring training. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat but don't want all the fat and calories, then you got to try a Built Bar. Because if your New Year's resolution was to eat a little bit healthier this year, well, Built Bar is perfect. Because These bars, unlike any other protein bar I've tasted, these bars actually taste good. They taste like candy bars. They really do. They're covered in 100% real chocolate. They come in unbelievable flavors like churro and peanut butter brownie. 
but I mentioned they're healthy and actually tasty because there's only 130 calories, only four grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein in every bar. And now, you don't have to just order off Built.com and wait around for your bars to come in the mail. You can still do that, but now you can walk into your local Walmart or your local Sam's Club and come out with a box of Built Bars. You can get your Built Bars even quicker. So still go to Built.com and check out all they have to offer, but walk into Walmart. Walk into Sam's Club today and come out with some delicious and nutritious Built Bars. So we're back here on a mailbag episode of the podcast answering your Orioles questions and want to get to our fourth question of the day here that comes from Josh on YouTube who asks, what would the Orioles 2024 opening day roster look like? This is kind of a fun question because I've already done two opening day roster predictions for 2023 so far this offseason on the pod and I will do many more throughout spring training leading up to opening day on March 30th. But it's always interesting to see, okay, a year from then, what does this opening day roster look like? And, and Josh told me when asking the question, you know, add in any trades or free agent signings that you would like to add to this roster. And I didn't add a lot of them. I actually didn't add any trades because I just felt like that was going to be too hard to do. I added in a couple free agents, but here's what I think. So in terms of the hitters, we'll start with catchers. I do think it'll be Adley Rutschman and James McCann once again. You know, McCann is signed through 2024, so he would be back. And unless he's an absolute disaster, he seems like a solid backup catcher for Adley. So you'll have two back there. I think in the infield, obviously, Ryan Mountcastle will be back. Obviously, Gunnar Henderson will be back. But other than that, I think I have an interesting group. I think Taron Vavra finds a way to stick around in some sign of kind of bench utility role. I think the O's like him. I do think that they don't re-sign Adam Frazier. And I think they might, I don't know, it's tough. Because I think they might trade both Jorge Mateo and Ramon Arias at some point. But you'd have to think, well, Connor, wouldn't they get major league talent back in those trades that would be on this 2024 roster? Yes, but I didn't really put those guys on here. I think they will trade one of them and, and maybe trade both of them. I'll say trade both of them. So they have Vavra, they have Henderson, they have Mountcastle. And then I put Jordan Westberg, I think he earns a spot. I think Joey Ortiz especially if they're going to trade Mateo, will find his way out of this roster. And then I threw in a, a free agent for the infield. How about Joey Wendell? He's going to be a free agent after this season. Just kind of a very versatile utility bat, left-handed hitter, was good in the AL East with the Rays, Was has been okay with Miami, but maybe he steps it up this year. How about Joey Wendell? And then in the outfield, Cedric Mullen sticks around, Colton Cowser in the big leagues. I have Austin Hayes sticking around. As I look at that, it's tough. I think they might deal Santander. I I really do. I think they might deal Santander. So Hayes, Mullins, Kowser, give me Kyle Stowers. And then Jock Peterson as a free agent signing is in the outfield. So then you go to the pitchers. And I said I didn't do a lot of trades, but I did put one trade in there because if you're going to do something like trading Arias, Mateo, and Santander, you got to think the Orioles are getting a starting pitcher on the other side of that trade. I mean, it would only make sense to do that. Now, it's not going to be a Corbin Burns type player to, to get a guy like that on the other side of that trade. But maybe those deals, maybe one of them is for prospects and maybe the other one is potentially for starting pitching. So how about Eric Lauer? It's a guy I've kind of thought could could still break out with the Brewers. 
Maybe a guy they trade for and extend. How about Eric Lauer? So we'll put him on this list, along with Dean Kramer, Kyle Bradish, Cole Irvin, Grayson Rodriguez, and D.L. Hall. And then you've got Tyler Wells, Felix Bautista, Brian Baker, Dylan Tate, and John Means. And then the last couple bullpen spots are tough. I think maybe CNL Perez could be gone. Michael Givens, I don't think so on a re-sign. I'll take Noah DeNoyer because I like the stuff and I like that they added him to the 40-man this offseason. I'll take Mike Bauman to somehow find himself a role. And that would be it. Except for one free agent signing. And I looked at it. I was deciding between starter and reliever. I think if they do trade for the start of the Lauer type, how about Wandy Peralta as the free agent signing? Left-handed reliever has been with the Yankees, been really good with New York over the past couple of years. Doesn't have dominant stuff, but just gets guys out. I can see that being an Orioles type of guy. Fifth question comes from Michael on YouTube who asks, who gets bumped from the rotation when John Means returns from injury? Now, this is something I've addressed multiple times on the podcast this offseason, but it's nice to go back and, and address it again just with Cole Irvin here now and you know talking about injuries to some other pitchers. Again, Means expects to be back probably sometime around the All-Star break. And when he comes back, he's not going to be fully ready to throw seven innings at a time. So it's probably going to be until August when he's really, truly back and, and really back into the Orioles rotation, I would have to think, July or August. So when that happens, I think probably, you know, you got to think there could be an injury. So I think it could work out where it's a replacement for someone else getting injured. But if not, I think the top two candidates are Kyle Gibson and Dean Kramer. Kyle Gibson in that, you know, is a veteran. He's eating innings. He hasn't been great. John Means comes back as another veteran, and he's just better than Gibson. You put him in there. And if anyone could take a step back, I think it could be Dean Kramer because he was good last year, but he was also a disaster in 2021, so we still don't know for sure what he's going to be. So maybe if Kramer is struggling, could see Means replacing him. Next question comes from Justin on YouTube, kind of in a similar vein. If D.L. Hall pitches so well in spring training that he wins a rotation spot, whose spot does he take? Now, I personally think for D.L. Hall to get a rotation spot this spring, not only would he have to be lights out on the mound in a starting role in Sarasota, but I think there would also have to be a significant injury to someone who's kind of locked into the rotation, whether it be a Cole Irvin, a Kyle Gibson, a Kyle Bradish type. But if it's just he's pitching really well, maybe if someone else slips up, those two things could come together. And I'll just throw out the name Kyle Bradish. I love Kyle Bradish. I've said it plenty of times in this pod. I might be the number one Kyle Bradish believer among Orioles fans. But if he does struggle with the command, like he's done at times in spring training, and maybe the O's want to stash him in the bullpen to start just to take some pressure off him and then put him back in the rotation, maybe if D.L. Hall really did pitch that well, that's whose spot he could take over. We've got three more questions to get to here on a Monday mailbag episode of the pod talking about who will bring the vibes in this year's clubhouse for the Orioles. If there's any possibility of trading for Shohei Otani this year, and then maybe an under the radar prospect to watch in 2023. 
We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. So we're back here on a Mailbag Monday episode of the Orioles. Mailbag on the Locked On Orioles podcast, answering your O's questions here. And our next question comes from a listener who is always in the comments, always asking questions. We thank you so much. That is Panorama Jazz Band on YouTube who asks, who brings the clubhouse vibes without Rugnet Odor or Robinson Chirinos on the roster in 2023? It's a good question because as we talked about on this pod, Odor's production was up and down. Torinos' production was mostly down, but they both brought energy, brought vibes to the dugout, to the clubhouse throughout the 2022 season. It was one of the reasons the O's had such a turnaround year. Now, both are still technically free agents, and neither has announced their retirement. Surprisingly, Torinos has not. But I think we can all agree that especially with the O's signing Adam Frazier and trading for James McCann and having all the infield prospects, they're not bringing Odor or Chirinos back, which means someone's got to fill that role of kind of clubhouse vibes leader. I think Jorge Mateo could be the number one guy. He seems to have the immaculate vibes, you know, everything he does uh, with pumping up the crowd and going to the Orioles video people when he comes into the dugout before the game. I heard a lot of good clubhouse things about Adam Frazier from Mariners people when the O's signed him to a one-year $8 million deal, so I could see that. Michael Givens seems to be the guy the O's really want to work with their young pitchers, especially in the bullpen. So Michael Givens could be added to the list. And then just personality-wise and guys who could fill into that interesting role, if they're on the opening day roster, D.L. Hall and Joey Crable, I think, could both fit into that slot. I think Hall, a much better chance than Crable right now of being on the roster, but both could potentially fill some of those roles. Next question comes from MCA Watkins on YouTube, who asks, here's a scenario. The Orioles are five games out of the division and one game out of the wild card on April 2nd, which is the day of the 2023 MLB trade deadline. If that's the case, do you trade Kobe Mayo, Cesar Prieto, Reed Trimble, Gene Pinto, and one lower level prospect for a Shohei Otani rental? Pretty specific trade. Again, just to go through the guys, Kobe Mayo, a lot of people think is a top five Orioles prospect right now. He's currently in double A. Cesar Prieto could be in double-A and triple-A this year. Came over as an international prospect from Cuba last year. A little bit of an older guy. Reed Trimble, early pick in the 2021 draft. Just a lot of injuries have kept him out for the last two years, but seems to be healthy now and a really intriguing outfielder. Gene Pinto, a favorite prospect of the guys over at BSL on the verge. And, uh, you know, a pitcher with some talent, top 30 prospect. And then one more guy outside the top 50. Now, first, I'll say the O's would not make this trade. Second, I'll say this is not enough to get even a rental version of Shohei Otani. But third, I'll say, yes, I would do this trade because that's not a lot to give up to get the best player in baseball. And if so, somehow the Angels were willing to give up Otani for that return, you do it in a heartbeat. But even if the Angels do trade him, it's not going to be for that price. And the Orioles are not going to go after a guy who's especially a rental at this point when they've shown They're not going to even try to re-sign him. They're not going to spend any money. They like their prospects. It's not happening. But yes, if I were GM and John Angelos wasn't the owner, I would do that deal. 
And the last question of the day comes from Mako on Twitter, who asks, is there a kind of unknown Orioles prospect who you're eager to watch in 2023? And thank you for the question, because, listen, this is going to be a little bit of a biased answer that I give, but I got to shout this guy out. Maxwell Costas is going to be the guy for me. Undrafted free agent signing by the Orioles out of the University of Maryland after the 2022 draft. Costas, kind of a first base slash DH type who has played a little third base, and the O's were working him out at third as well to get a little more defensive versatility. But right-handed hitter with some big power, a really, really good batter's eye at the plate as well. Now, Costas came in as more of a depth move. He had a great four-year career at Maryland, was the Big Ten Freshman of the Year in 2019 when I was in college at Maryland and I was the radio play-by-play voice of Maryland Terrapins Baseball. Got to know Maxwell very, very well in 2019. He's he's also a a Baltimore kid and and played at Gilman in high school and played for, for Baltimore's RBI teams when he was a kid as well. But yeah, Maxwell's one of my favorite people I've ever met in baseball, so I'm really pulling for him to do well, but I will be watching a lot of his games. He'll most likely be between Delmarva and Aberdeen throughout this year, playing first base, maybe a little third base as well. And listen, John Mioli wrote about Costas briefly in one of his newsletters over at Maximizing Playoff Odds. You should go subscribe. And, you know, Mioli got a lot of the underlying data for Orioles minor leaguers, and it showed that Maxwell Costas, after the draft, had the lowest chase rate of any hitter in the Orioles system from the draft in July through the end of the 2022 season. It was something crazy like a 6% chase rate. Now, his stats weren't amazing, and his exit velocity numbers were kind of low compared to other hitters. But that chase rate being the best is something to keep your eye on, and it's going to at least keep him around for another year in the system to give him another chance. And here's the other thing. He's not amazing at first base, but he's solid there defensively. There's not really first baseman in this system right now. The guys who are looked at as first baseman are guys who people are questioning if they can stay at their position. Like, you know, questions about can Kobe Mayo stick at third? I think Mayo would play third and would play potentially right field before he'd move to first base. Samuel Basayo, another guy, you know, can he stick behind the plate or will he have to move to first base? But other than that, you know, you're looking at in terms of first baseman, like, I mean, T.T. Bowens had a nice year last year, but there's not a lot of real first baseman. I mean, Jacob Teeter was injured for most of last season. Not a lot of first basemen. So Maxwell Costas is going to play some first base. Maybe that'll give him more of a chance, and I hope it, it certainly does in 2023. But that'll do it for today's mailbag episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, if you did not hear your question answered, look for another mailbag either late this week or early next week, and we'll answer the rest of those mailbag questions. If you'd like to submit a question for a future mailbag, you could email us at LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com. Tweet the pod at LockedOnOrioles. DMs are open on Twitter as well. You can also DM us on Instagram at LockedOnOrioles. The pod is on Instagram now. As well, you can leave a YouTube comment in uh, the comment section here and leave a mailbag question in that comment here on the Locked On Orioles YouTube page. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And then also, if you leave a five-star rating for the podcast on Apple Pods and iTunes in the review section, you can also leave a mailbag question there, and it will be answered on a future mailbag episode. But I'll be back on the podcast tomorrow. We'll be talking a little bit about the spring training games over the weekend for the Orioles. They played their first game on Saturday. Of course, none of them have been televised, but tomorrow's game 
will be the first one that is televised. But before that, just give some recap, shout out some players like Heston Kerstad's two home runs, Taron Vavra just hitting the ball incredibly well. Uh, you've got a couple of good innings from Cade Povich. We'll talk about all those guys and recap the weekend coming up on tomorrow's episode. And remember, we will also talk about the giveaway. We did reach 2,000 subscribers here on YouTube. And any information that you will need about that Locked On Orioles giveaway will come up on tomorrow's episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, yeah. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 